Welcome to this EHA podcast series and thank you to everyone for listening. I'm Gareth Tucker, I'm the CEO of a medical education agency and I'll be your host for this podcast. This is the second in a comprehensive five-part series funded by the European Haematology Association discussing haematology diseases, diagnosis, assessment and treatment in older adults. The purpose of the podcast series is to share up-to-date information with patients and physicians about haematology in older adults. The topic for this podcast is the importance of effective patient assessment in haematological disease in older adults. Our experts for this discussion are Professor Alessandra Tucci and Professor Sergio Storti. Professor Tucci, can I come to you first to briefly introduce yourself, your background and your expertise? Yes, uh, my name is Alessandra Tucci. I work uh, in uh, hematology in uh, Brescia. My um, Brescia that is in north of Italy and my field of interest was for many times uh, non-Hodgkin lymphomas and in particular elderly non-Hodgkin lymphomas and I'm a coordinator of the elderly lymphoma group inside the Italian Lymphoma Foundation. Thank you Professor Tucci and also Professor Storti if you could introduce yourself. <laughs> Okay, I'm Sergio Storti. I am working at uh, the IRCCS uh, Neuromed in Molise, that is in the southern part of Italy, and I am uh, professor of hematology at Catholic University in Campobasso, that is uh, also in the southern part of Italy. My field of interest is uh, overall lymphoma and uh, blood coagulation, and uh, I am a member with Professor Tucci of the uh, Italian board of the uh, Italian Foundation for Lymphoma, Phil, and uh, I am also a member of the board of uh, EHA for uh, Hematology of the Elderly. Uh, we also have two questions to be addressed by our experts, which have been sent from Fondazione Italiana Linfomi which is an Italian organization dedicated to the support and education of patients with lymphoma. Professor Storti, I'll, I'll come to you first. Non-cooperation with HCPs can happen in all age groups, but older patients may have more cultural, psychosocial and pathophysiological barriers that make them likely to provide inaccurate answers during assessment of their physical and cognitive status. Do you believe that these issues are still a challenge? what is happening to fix these biases? And do you think nurses and caregivers have a role to play? When we meet the patients to plan the therapeutic program and we explain them that it is useful and necessary to know all the problems they have and their biologic age more than the chronological age, they are very happy to collaborate. They realize that it's important for tailoring a personalized treatment by taking, taking into account all the possible therapies available. With their collaboration, we can choose the best option for them, the most efficacious to achieve the goal and also the less toxic for this purpose. Generally, the patient try to provide the most accurate answers to healthcare professionals' questions and the widespread increase in the awareness about these issues, thanks to the medias and the web social communication, can help. However, older patients may have more cultural, psychosocial, and pathophysiological barriers 
that make them likely to provide inaccurate answers during assessment of their physical and cognitive status. We know that overall frail subjects have a cognitive impairment that can reduce the complete reliability of the answers. In this context, the caregiver, both familiar or professional, can be very useful. They can help the patient to remember with more precision and encourage them to collaborate more actively, giving them many kinds of support. They can also elucidate and sometimes amend the answers of the patient, providing, when available, clinical documents. The role of the caregiver and of the nurse when present is crucial for the correct evaluation, especially for of patients who may be frail. Generally, this process is enough to obtain an accurate evaluation, but in some rare instances, recalls may be necessary. The interaction between healthcare professionals and the patient's entourage is of pivotal relevance during the whole diagnostic and therapeutic process. This aspect should be specifically addressed in the educational process of healthcare professionals and of the caregivers, in my opinion. Thank you, Professor Storti. But perhaps I can address the second question to you, Professor Tucci. The ability of older patients to manage life-threatening conditions with appropriate coping strategies is fundamental to achieving positive outcomes and self-sufficiency is a predictor of better and faster recovery from severe illnesses. Do you think there may be a bias towards enrolling older, fitter oncohematologic patients in clinical studies? And to what extent do you think clinical trial results are successful because of the new treatment rather than the patients that were selected? In other words, is clinical trial data reproducible in the real world? Okay, generally, Studies addressed to elderly patients and role subjects with uh, few comorbidities, no cognitive impairments that are not representative of the elderly population encountered in our daily routine work. Data of the real world show that about half of the elderly patients are unfit or frail. And for this reason, it's difficult to translate in clinical practice the results obtained from large clinical trial addressed to geriatric population. We hope that geriatric assessment will be included more and more in the clinical studies to better select patients according to geriatric categories in order to obtain reproducible data and help physicians in their clinical choices. Super, thank you both very much. Why is thorough assessment of older patients with hematological malignancies so important? So older patients are extremely heterogeneous because of comorbidities that increase with the increase of age. About one third of hematologic trials listed in the NIH registry include age limitation. And even when there are no such exclusion criteria, older patients who are eligible in a study are most often not representative of the older patient commonly seen in the clinical practice. We have to learn to evaluate biological age that requires measurous functions. Such assessment takes into account several domains, including comorbidities, but also psychological health, medication burden, cognitive function, and social support. And all these evaluations were named geriatric assessment. 
Thank you, Professor Tucci. We'll, we'll touch back on the, the topic of geriatric assessment in a moment, but what is important to consider during, in, during the initial patient assessment? Okay. The core of the initial assessment of the patients is to answer the question, what is the optimal treatment for me? Making decision about the most appropriate treatment planning for elderly subject is complex. We should take into account factors common to all patients, such as the features of hematologic cancer or the toxicity efficacy ratio of all the possible treatments, including the most innovative biological agents. When it comes to older people's life expectancy, fitness status, and in particular the presence or absence of frailty, and the personal and familiar values of the patients all play a relevant role in the decision. Geriatric assessment can provide us with useful tools to carefully evaluate the clinical and psychosocial picture of the patient. It should be integrated into clinical routines in order to later perform a tailored care for all the adults. And uh, uh, this is the recommendation also of NCCN. Professor Storti, you touched there on the, the topic of life expectancy. How does life expectancy affect treatment goals and decisions in older patients? So about, uh, we know that about 60% of patients with hematological malignancies are more than 65 years old. And this, their number will grow as the life expectancy increase. Ideally, the individual hematologist should be able to establish patient's frailty status and develop an appropriate individualized program inclusive of uh, therapeutic regimens with curative aim, but also tailor the best supportive care. The implication of frailty vary according to each clinical scenario. In an indolent disease, our prime target should be the quality of life and the frail patient may do well with low intensity therapy. In the same frail subject as an aggressive disease, they may do poorly with intensive therapy even if it was technically necessary to eradicate the disease and to prolong the survival. The treatment could be too toxic and not tolerated with a reduction of the quality of life and a possible toxic death. Composite endpoints should be considered in this category of patients, in particular the combination of the treatment outcome and the patient's quality of life. In therapeutic planning, we should take into account reduced intensity regimens or, when possible, the new biological and sometimes less toxic agents. Mm, thank you. How do the features of the malignancy affect treatment decisions in older patients? Yes, several risk scores have been developed to predict the natural history of the disease and address the treatment strategy. For instance, in myelodysplastic syndrome, the most commonly used risk score is the International Prognostic Scoring System that includes disease features and diagnosis like cytopenias, presence of the number of blasts in the bone marrow, and cytogenetic abnormalities. And more recently, a revised score based on the same features that the stratified patients in five risk category was developed. Concerning acute myeloid leukemia, 
multiple large studies demonstrate the prognostic value of cytogenetic risk categories, in particular the presence of high-risk mutations such as uh, TP53 and other secondary uh, type mutation confers lower benefit from intensive chemotherapy. In CLL, different approaches are needed as, in, as first-line treatment according to the biology and natural history of the disease. The use of molecular cytogenetic testing is recommended for the detection of the 17P minus and TP53 mutation deletions, which are the strongest validated predictors of unfavorable outcomes with chemoimmunotherapy. It is possible that uh, in the near future, we have also to target CLL patients carrying smaller TP53 subclones who appear to have a similarly unfavorable prognosis. IGVH uh, mutation, 11Q minus, complex karyotype, notch one, SF3B1, and POT1 mutations may also be predictive of shorter progression-free survival with chemotherapy. So BCR-targeted drugs and the BCL2 inhibitor venetoclax are more effective in this aggressive genetic subset of CLL than in chemoimmunotherapy combinations. A remarkable improvement in progression-free survival has been observed with ibrutinib, idelalisib, and rituximab and venetoclax in CLL cases with relapsed disease and TP53 disruption. A number of randomized clinical trials are addressing the role of novel agents also in the treatment of naive CLL. The peculiar extremadiotological toxicity of these agents, polypharmacy and drug interaction, are emerging issues in the elderly, especially when treatment must be continued until progression, and they justify a geriatric assessment when starting the treatment. Clearly, it's not just disease biology that should be considered when assessing older patients. Does their fitness also have a role to play? Historically, treatment decisions in hematological patients have been largely based on chronological age and disease biological features. Patient conditions were evaluated only uh, through performance status, but this parameter especially reflects patient status uh, according to the conditions related to the hematological disease and does not reflect the entire functional status. The International Society of Geriatric Oncology recommends the use of a geriatric assessment that better explain how was the patient's status before the current illness. And comprehensive geriatric assessment should now be integrated into treatment decisions. You've both mentioned the concept of geriatric assessment. So, so briefly, what is geriatric assessment? Geriatric assessment is a strategy to provide a multidimensional characterization of an older adult, and it includes the cardinal domains of functional status, physical health, socio-environmental issues, and psychological health. The use of geriatric assessment can inform us about the patient's fitness or frailty. There is no gold standard definition for fitness. 
In practice, FIT is an older adult potentially robust enough to be treated similarly to a middle-aged patient. Frailty, on the contrary, is characterized by decreased physiologic reserve. It is associated with adverse health outcomes commonly arising from the decreased organ reserve, lack of activity, poor nutritional intake, stress, and or pronounced physiological signs of aging. The best validated estimate of physiological age at present derives from a comprehensive geriatric assessment that includes function, polymorbidity, polypharmacy, cognitive and emotional status, presence of depression, geriatric syndromes, falls, delirium, urinary or stool incontinence, but also social support, nutrition, and financial resources. This characterization can be dynamic and change over time. In addition, the implication of vulnerability or frailty with respect to treatment tolerance differ depending on the nat upon the natural history of the hematological condition and the intensity of therapies required to treat it. Accumulating evidence demonstrates the usefulness of geriatric assessment to enhance the prediction of treatment tolerance and benefit among older adults. So should comprehensive geriatric assessment be recommended for older patients with hematological malignancies? Yes, of course. Studies in patients with various solid and hematological malignancies have demonstrated that geriatric assessment can predict chemotherapy-related toxicities and also overall survival. It was demonstrated that geriatric assessment can uncover physical and cognitive impairments even among patients considered fit by standard clinical evaluation. Identification of specific health impairment can also allow opportunity to tailor supportive care interventions such as a physical therapy, nutritional support, for instance, or treatment of depression or geriatric symptoms, or to improve functional status. In our experience, as Balducci has already observed concerning CLL in 2015, older people affected by hematological malignancies often die for the disease and not with the disease. The National Comprehensive Cancer Network guidelines recommend that a comprehensive geriatric assessment should be part of initial evaluation of older cancer patients. In this way, Frail people can avoid excessively toxic treatments, but it is important that also fit patients are not deprived of potential curative treatments. The strategy may allow clinicians to prevent or delay either CLL-related death in older individuals without life or function threatening toxicity also considering that nowadays new biological drugs allow to obtain good results also in unfavorable prognostic subset of the disease. It has uh, BCR inhibitors or venetoclax for uh, P53 mutated in CLL. Identification of specific health impairments can also allow opportunities to tailor, as uh, Dr. Tucci told, to tailor supportive care interventions such as physical therapy, nutritional or a treatment of depression to improve functional status. 
Can you give us some examples of how geriatric assessment can help direct treatment for older patients with different malignancies? As, uh, as you already underlined, the identification of the category of fitness by the use of uh, geriatric assessment can address the treatment objectives. In particular, if we identify fit patients, our goal of treatment will include complete remission, consolidation with uh, autologous or even allogeneic transplantation if indicated in younger patients and long-term survival. It was demonstrated that in many pathologies, elderly fit can obtain the same results than younger patients. For instance, it was uh, uh, true in aggressive lymphoma. Uh, recently, uh, in a study conducted inside the Italian Lymphoma Foundation, we demonstrated that the feasibility of uh, an autologous tensile transplantation program in relapse refractory aggressive lymphoma up to 75 years of age. Of course, uh, we can do this program in fit patients identified by a simple geriatric assessment. Similar experience exists also in other countries. For example, in a recent study of Derman, a pre-transplant evaluation by a multidisciplinary team composed by hematologists, geriatrician, infectious disease specialists, nutritionists, and physiotherapists provide to reduce the non-relapse mortality in auto and allotransplant recipients older than 60 years. And this policy allows to use the consolidative treatment of the transplant in more patients relapsed with non-Hodgkin lymphoma. So uh, we can uh, have more uh, adults suitable candidates for the transplantation that is a mainstay of the rescue therapy of relapsed patients. Acute myeloidy leukemia is a nice example of integration of biological characteristics of the disease and patient fitness can guide treatment decisions. In particular, we know that fit older adults with genetic good risk acute myeloid leukemia treated with the standard 7 plus 3 regimen achieve a high complete remission rate, about 82%, and two years overall survival of about 60% without the use of allogenic stem cell transplantation. In intermediate risk, even consolidation with allotransplantation was recommended in fit patients, at least up to about 70 years of age. In fit mutated AML, fit older adults are recommended to receive midostaurin in combination with the tre- three plus seven regimen. Conversely, in high risk acute myeloid leukemia, even fit patients have a low probability to achieve complete remission, about 55%, and low two-year overall survival, less than 20%, and low intensity chemotherapy options are preferred, including hypomethylating agents, such as azacitidine or decitabine, with or without venetoclax in combination. Unfit patients are generally ineligible for intensive therapy, 
and they should be enrolled in clinical trials when possible or treated with low intensity option like uh, hypomethylating agents. So also myelodysplastic syndromes integrate evaluation of biological risk of the disease and fitness. Patients with EPSS intermediate risk disease are candidate for hypomethylating therapy and even intensive chemotherapy followed by curative allogeneic stem cell transplantation in fit younger patients. In frail patients, a recent study by Morgan and collaborator published on a Journal of Geriatric Oncology demonstrated the difficulty to complete six cycles of azacitidine with consequently worse survival. This observation prompts clinicians to consider the risk-benefit ratio of offering disease-modifying therapy over best supportive care in frail patients. Coming back to diffuse large B-cell lymphoma that is very frequent in the elderly, uh, many studies worldwide demonstrate the utility of pretreatment comprehensive geriatric assessment for tailoring therapy to the affected patient's fitness. It allows to evaluate the probability of toxic events that are together with disease progression a major cause of early deaths. This proves to be true even if different domains of geriatric assessment have been, have been tested in published studies. It is important that at least four domains are concerned. In a recent study of Chu and uh, co-workers in Taiwan confirmed that in Eastern population too, there is a relationship between frailty and therapy failure. Uh, they had a mortality of 6% in fit patients and 33% uh, in frail patients. This is similar to the, the, the data that were described from the, by the field uh, and Professor Tucci some years ago. Uh, and Professor Tucci can better elucidate these uh, results. Yes, some years ago, we conducted a study involving 13 centers of the Italian Lymphoma Foundation and all consecutive uh, patients with a diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, 173 patients aged more than 69 years, were evaluated at diagnosis with a simple uh, geriatric assessment and then treated according to clinician decisions independently of the result of geriatric assessment. We demonstrated that two years overall survival was significantly better in a fit patient than in a non-fit patient, 84% versus 47%. This score identified fit patient suitable for curative approach, then obtained the same result than younger patients. Thank you for those very comprehensive and interesting examples. What tools are available to help with geriatric assessment? There is general agreement regarding the domain of the geriatric assessment. However, there are several different tools used to evaluate this domain. The International Society of Geriatric Oncology suggests that the superiority of one tool over another has not been proven, and choice of instruments might rely on local preference, aim of the tool, or resources present. Disease-specific tools should be considered. 
Some years ago, an Italian group proposed a specific myelodysplastic comorbidity index and its integration with VPSS. And more recently, the Italian Lymphoma Foundation proposed an elderly prognostic index in elderly diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. The elderly prognostic index combined simple geriatric assessment with international prognostic index. And the results is a validated instrument that recognizes patients with low, intermediate, or high risk of death. Also in myeloma patients, uh, there are some specific different tools that have been tested to differentiate fit and fit and frail patients according to geriatric assessment. The most reliable in literature also in consideration of the validation studies that have been published are the International Myeloma Working Group Index and the revised Myeloma Comorbidity Index. Both have demonstrated a good separation in progression-free survival and overall survival among patients with different geriatric characteristics and myeloma. The International Myeloma Working Group tool incorporates age, ADL, IADL, and Charleston Comorbidity Index, while the revised Myeloma Comorbidity Index includes renal, lung, and Karnowski performance status impairment, frailty, and age. And uh, high-risk cytogenetics is added to complement this revised uh, myeloma comorbidity index, similar to what happens in myelodysplastic syndromes. The significance of geriatric assessment is maintained also in multivariate analysis, regardless of the treatment received. It is valid both in experimental protocols but and in real life. Studies are running to investigate whether current indexes can be improved further, but geriatric assessment remains a cornerstone in the clinical course of myeloma patients. Next step is to wait the result of prospective randomized clinical studies designed to adapt the therapeutic approach to patients, geriatric groups selected with these indexes, similar to what happened in lymphoma patients. Listeners will also be able to access through module two of the Mythbusters e-learning where Professor Stortioso discusses some of the screening tools that can be used and where links are provided. That brings us to the end of this podcast. Thank you to Professor Alessandro Tucci and Professor Sergio Storti for their time and expertise and for summarising so elegantly how comprehensive geriatric assessment is fundamental for informing treatment goals and treatment decisions in older adults. Thank you also to everyone for listening. A reminder that this is the second podcast in a series of five, so please do join us again for the next in the EHA Myth Busting series.